0: reading short and deep hi i'm jesse and i'm eric and today we're reading short and deep the bowman by arthur machin first published in uh, the september 19 oh, september 29th 1914, london evening news that's a newspaper um subsequently published in a book in 1915 uh, with an important introduction. Um, And uh, this is a very interesting story, but I think we should just read right into it, uh, read the story, and then uh, talk about why it's important. Sounds good to me. Will you read it for us? Sure. Here we go. It was during the retreat of the 80,000 and the authority of the censorship is sufficient excuse for not, not being more explicit. But it was on the most awful day of that awful time, on that day when the ruin and disaster came so near that the shadow fell over London far away, and without any certain news, the hearts of men failed within them and grew faint, as if the agony of the army in the battlefield had centered in their souls. On this dreadful day, when the three hundred thousand men in arms with all the artillery swelled like a flood against the light a little english company there was one point above all other points in our battle line that was for a time in awful danger not merely of defeat but of utter annihilation with the permission of the censorship and of the military expert this corner may perhaps be described as a salient and if this angle were crushed and broken, then the English force as a whole would be shattered. The Allied left would be turned, and Sedan would inevitably follow. All the morning the German guns had thundered and shrieked against this corner and against the thousand or so men who held it. The men joked at the shells and found funny names for them, and had bets about them and greeted them with scraps of music hall songs. But the shells came on and burst and tore good English limb from limb, and tore brother from brother, and as the heat of the day increased, so did the fury of that terrific cannonade. There was no help, it seemed. The English artillery was good, but there was not nearly enough of it. It was being steadily battered into scrap iron. There comes a moment in a storm at sea when people say to one another, It is at its worst. It can blow no harder. And then there is a blast ten times more fierce than any before it. So it was... In these British trenches, there was no starter, there were no starter. Ha- there were no stouter hearts in the whole world than these hearts than the hearts of these men. But even they were appalled as this seven times heated hell of the German cannonade fell upon them and overwhelmed them and destroyed them. At, and at this moment, they f- saw from the trenches that a tremendous host was moving against their lines. 500 of the 1,000 remained, and as far as they could see, the German infantry was pressing on against them, column upon column, a gray world of men, 10,000 of them, as if, as it appeared afterwards. There was no hope at all. They shook hands, some of them. One man, improv- one man improvised a new version of the battle song Goodbye, Goodbye to Tipperary, ending with it, and We Sha'n't Get There, and they all went on firing steadily. The officer pointed out that such an opportunity for high-class, high-class fancy shooting might never occur again. The temporary humorist asked, What price, Sydney Street? And the few machine guns did their best. But everybody knew it was of no use. The dead gray bodies lay in the companies and battalions, as others came on and on and on, and they swarmed and stirred in advanced from beyond and beyond. World without end, amen said one of the British soldiers, with some irrelevance as he took aim and fired, and then he remembered, he says, he cannot think why or wherefore, a queer vegetarian restaurant in London, where he had once or twice eaten eccentric dishes of cutlets made out of lentils and nuts that pretended to be steak. On all the plates in this restaurant there was printed a figure of St. George in blue, and the motto... "'Adsit Anglis Sanctus Georgius. "'May St. George be present and help to the English.' "'This soldier happened to know Latin and other useless things, "'and now as he fired at his man in the grey advancing mass "'300 yards away, he uttered the pious vegetarian motto. "'He went on firing to the end, "'and at last Bill on his right had to clout him cheerfully over the head "'to make him stop, pointing out, as he did, "'so that the king's ammunition cost money,' and was not lightly to be wasted in drilling funny patterns into dead Germans. For as the Latin scholar uttered his invocation, he felt something between a shudder and an electric shock pass through his body. The roar of the battle died down in his ears to a gentle murmur. Instead of it, he says, he heard a great voice and a shout louder than a thunder-peal, crying Array! 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 His heart grew hot as burning coal. It grew cold as ice within him as it seemed to him that the tumult of the voices answered to his summons. He heard or seemed to hear thousands shouting, Saint George! Saint George! Ha! Messiah! Ha! Sweet Saint, grant us deliverance! Saint George for merry England! Harrow! Harrow! Monsignor, Saint George! succor us! Ha! Saint George! Saint George! Ha! A long bow and a strong bow! Heaven knight a- Heaven's night aid us! And as the soldier heard these voices he saw before him beyond the trench a long line of shapes with a shining about them they were like men who drew the bow and with another shout their cloud of arrows flew and tingling through the host tingling through the air towards the german hosts the other men in the trenches in the trench were firing all the while they had no hope but they aimed just as they had been sh- they had no hope, but they aimed just as if they had been shooting at Bisley. Suddenly, one of them lifted up his voice in the plainest English. God help us, he bellowed to the man next to him. But we're blooming marvels. Look at those gray gentlemen. Look at them. Do you see them? They're not going down in dozens or in hundreds. It's thousands, it is. Look, look, there's a regiment gone while I'm talking to ye, Shut it, the other said. Soldier bellowed, t- taking aim. What are you gassing about? But he gulped with astonishment, even as he spoke, for indeed the gray men were falling by the thousands. The English could hear the guttural scream of German officers, the crackle of their revolvers as they shot. The reluctant and still line after line crashed and to the earth. All the while the Latin-bred soldier heard the cry, "Hero, hero, Monseigneur, dear saint, quick to our aid, Saint George, help us. Hi Chevalier, defend us The singing arrows fled so swift and thick that they darkened the air. The heath heathen bore the heathen horde melted before from before them. More machine guns, Bill yelled of Tom to Tom. Don't hear them, Tom yelled back. But thank God anyway, they've got it in the neck. In fact, there were ten thousand dead German soldiers left before that salient of many of the English army, and consequently there was no sedan. In Germany, a country ruled by scientific principles, the great general staff decided that the contemptible English must have employed shells containing an unknown gas of a poisonous nature as no wounds were discernible on the bodies of the dead German soldiers. But the man who knew what nuts tasted like when they called themselves steak knew also that St. George had brought his Agincourt Bowman to help the English.
1: Well, I'm just an American, so I'm not supposed to know all this stuff about English history. Um, You're a Canadian, so you could, but (laughs) you're not, you're not required to. What do you think about all of these terms that, um, that you wouldn't catch? If you didn't know some history, Do you There's think a, that makes the story better
0: or worse? It's it's very tied up within its period and uh, even the the days of when it was written. This is not a story for the ages. This is a story for a particular part of the ages a very particular part so it does call upon uh incidents in british history made famous by shakespeare amongst others um and this is a critical time in world war one the first real battle of the war and uh, this story took on a life of its own so it's it's very much tied up in all of that and it's so it's such a strange story for what is basically a very simple fantasy story. So, uh, it's I think it's impossible to understand without to understand any of it really without knowing the history behind it, at least some of it. The uh, the story
1: it seems to me has. Uh A number of things going for it. I I rather enjoyed it. I'm glad that you recommended my reading it. Some aspects of the history of England, I think uh, most literate uh, readers of British literature would automatically get. They would have some sense that St. George is the patron saint of England. They probably remember that Henry V by Shakespeare has a famous speech, the St. Crispin's Day speech, mm-hmm. um, uh, which leads to the unlikely uh, success, the triumph of the English longbowmen at the Battle of Agincourt. Um, my guess is that even Englishmen these days uh, would be unlikely to know what Bisley refers to right. um, or uh, Sydney Street what price Sydney street, they might know about Sudan. Um, that's a very famous battle in which Napoleon the was captured by the Germans in the Franco Prussian war. So when at the beginning of the story it says um, that there might be, we feared there would be another Sedan with a capital S um, many English folks, at least those who studied English history, um, or European history might have some sense of it. So when it says later in the story it wasn't going to be another sedan after all, um, we realize that it is St. George and the patronage of a noble figure, a holy figure that has kept the English from the same fate at the hands of the Germans that the French fell to. So in some sense, there's a, a suggestion here that, that we English are better Than the French. And indeed, we were before in Agincourt in 1415 when the good English bowmen helped us conquer the French. The Germans could conquer the French too, but we were able to resist the Germans thanks to St. George coming in with these astral spectral Bowman. So there's a lot of international politics and, but other things you wouldn't get at all um, unless you were moved to look them up as, as I was. And as I presume you were, Mm -hmm. but the other thing that I think the story has going for it is uh, even if you miss some pieces, you know, I mean, remember when you were young and you were reading a story that was kind of exciting the author used a word you didn't quite know, but you sort of figured you knew what he was getting at because in context you knew. So if you don't know what sedan is and it says, well, we feared it would be another sedan. Well, you know, it's a capital S. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean a four-door car. You know, it means something and I don't know what it is. So and I'm not going to stop and look it up now because I'm 12 years old and I'm caught up in this. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff here that we wouldn't quite get uh, enriches the story. I don't think that without understanding the, the history of the Franco-Prussian War and the Battle of Sedan and understanding uh, Henry V and so on, I don't think if you don't understand those things, you're likely to see that this is a, a war story, a story that comes out in 1914, and it places the English as superior to the French in their ability to resist the Germans. There's there's a lot of international rivalry going on in the story. And I don't think you would get it if you didn't have those details, but maybe you don't need to get it. That just talks about the local moment, not the more universal moment. I think the more universal moment comes to mind because the writing is damn good. Um, take a look, for example, um, at the second paragraph, Um, It's really only, I think, two sentences long. But Mm -hmm. what sentence? On this dreadful day, then, when 300,000 men in arms with all their artillery swelled like a flood against the little English company. I'm going to just stop there. I'm still in the beginning of the sentence. You notice the rhyme, the internal Mm -hmm. rhyme on this dreadful day the da, the alliteration then when mm-hmm. 300,000 men oh my gosh then when 300,000 men in arms with their artillery there's more assonance swell like a flood against the little english company artillery company there's rhyme going on in here. There's assonance, alliteration. The the sentence is rhythmic as it proceeds. And it's also reminding us of things, as if we go slowly enough, that might be implicit. I mean, the swelling flood of the Little English Channel. Mm-hmm. But no, no, we're on the other side of the channel, right? Other side. Oh, yes, there was one point above all other points in our battle line. Oh, now, think of that geometrically, right? Uh, One point above other points in our battle line. A line is just an infinite, just an infinite number of points. One point above all other points in our battle line that was for a time, line and time giving us a slant rhyme, in awful danger. And I think the word awful is well chosen. We know what's going to come later. We're going to have... Uh, the ghost of a saint come down, right? So awe is really in awful here, right? Not merely of defeat, but of utter annihilation. So now let me go back and read that first sentence again and listen to the the balance and so on. On this dreadful day, then when 300,000 men in arms with all their artillery swell like a flood against the little English company, There was one point above all other points in our battle line that was for a time in awful danger, not merely of defeat, but of utter annihilation. And by having that word annihilation not rhyme with danger... That sentence doesn't just tie itself up like the end of a stanza. In fact, it brings us right into the second sentence of this paragraph, and the second sentence is of equal size and weight. With the permission of the censorship and of the military expert, this corner may perhaps be described as a salient and if this angle were crushed and broken, notice the angle now has moved us away from point and line. Mm-hmm. Now we've got two lines. We're building a geometric picture of what's going on. It's allowed. The censorship will let us do it. And if this angle were crushed and broken, then the English force as a whole would be shattered. The allied left would be turned and Sudan would inevitably follow so the first sentence is all this stuff that they're afraid of and then it's clearly over they've succeeded because they've got the permission of the censorship but this is where it would go there's an ebb and a excuse me there's a flow and an ebb in this paragraph it's a terrific paragraph Mm -hmm. and in the course of writing all this music it's reminding us relentlessly of war of war along maps of war in real places. It's the Olympian view of the general and the even higher view of who knows what the gods who are looking down at us and history it's embedded. It's I think a marvelous paragraph to slow down with. Mm -hmm. And there are many in this story that have that same power. Um, let me find just one other.
0: Before you move and, on, I just want to point out there's some great stuff in that second one that you you haven't magnified on, and I I want to do that. The the word angle is beside just being ge- geometric is also anglo ang low saxon right Uh and that is against the the french uh, as opposed to the french who are the allied left the allied remaining right so this is this is it is poetry in in prose form
1: yes well indeed it's not the lines aren't broken in funny ways but yes i i agree i agree There comes a moment in a storm at sea when people say to one another, it is at its worst. It can blow no harder. You notice again the rhyme between another and harder. He keeps doing this. Mm -hmm. And then there is a blast 10 times more fierce than any before it. So it was in these English, in these British trenches. So this is a trenchant comment. Mm -hmm. These are people who are being assaulted by something that goes beyond their capacity to imagine. Um, the language makes us understand that if we will read it slowly enough and aloud to actually say what they're saying. So, in fact, we get other things of what they're saying. Uh, goodbye, goodbye to Tipperary, ending with We Shan't Get There. Now, I imagine in 1914, Everybody knew that song, uh, It's a Long Way to Tipperary, which turned out to be maybe the single most popular music hall song uh, in the English-speaking world for the English-speaking allies in World War I, or what was then called the Great War. It turns out that that song, It's a Long, Long Way to Tipperary, a Long Way from Home, etc., um, that song isn't a war song. It was written in 1911, and it's, it's the voice of an Irishman who is in London. And he realizes that while he's trying to make his way in London, the girl he really loves back in Ireland in temporary may just not be able to keep waiting. So he would better get back there. So it is a, it's a song of nostalgia and love. It's not a war song, but the idea of going home. And in this case, the, the British were willing to have the English and the Irish together. Think of the same home. That's amazing. This is because, you know, their rivalries are put aside because of the, the, uh, Im- the danger of, of the war. Um, in, in this instance, instead of saying, I'm going to go home, uh, we'll win and then we'll go home. Things are so bad that they say we shan't get there, not, and I will soon be there. Um. What had started out as romance had morphed into patriotism. And at the moment before St. George comes, um, it looks like it's a failure that neither, neither patriotism nor romance will succeed, but then something does, then something does. So there's terrific writing and it's writing that works perfectly well with those historic details, some of which we would know and some of which we wouldn't, um, there's a little bit of satire in there. Mm -hmm. The fellow who actually makes the invocation that arouses St. George adds it. Angla Sanctus Georgius, Um, it says he happened to know Latin and other useless things, but in fact, it's knowing Latin that perhaps got him to say aloud this idea that became a prayer, which gets answered by St. George, the patron saint of England. Um, But I need to ask you Mm -hmm. that 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 motto, he remembers it at this crucial time from having seen it on the plates in what he calls a queer vegetarian restaurant. And it's even referred to a little later in that long paragraph as the pious vegetarian motto. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is the point about vegetarians here?
0: It's a pretty funny uh, uh, juxtaposition with all the slaughter that's happening. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure what to make of it, other than to see it as a as a, a juxtaposition of the what was uh, the final line about it being a cutlet um, of oh yes. Um, But the man who
1: knew what nuts tasted like when they called themselves steak knew also that St. George had brought his Agincourt bowman to help the English.
0: Right. A fake steak. Yeah. Um, What's uh, what's so funny about this is that this is not a true story. But – that, and and Machen insists or Machen insists on this over and over including in his introduction to a book that he was compelled to put out because of its popularity um, and he, he insisted to everyone who ever read and asked him and wrote a letter to him you know what's the basis for this Where's your evidence for this he insisted that it was absolutely not a true story and that there was no evidence for it um, other than his own imagination and what he thought while he was uh composing it in his mind and it took off as a true rumor that was un- out of his control um so it, it, it that little aspect is never the one that people magnify right that's not the one that people focus on and they change it as they see fit so I, i'm not sure what to make of it it seems like it's a sort of a counter to what he's doing sort of in the glory of war, war early on and with the permission of the censorship he's kind of dodging the fact that this is actually a this is actually a horror this is the first battle of world war one that's that in many ways is is kind of a mini version of of the retreat at dunkirk another quote-unquote miracle uh that is described as, as such often um uh a miracle that uh, that helps the english But really, it helps the English in covering up disaster, in mitigating the uh, great losses. So I'm not sure what to make of it. It it seems like a a fight against what he's actually uh, playing up. But I'm not sure even he thinks that. So what do you make of it?
1: Well, you've helped me a lot Um, by thinking of vegetarianism as, in some sense, Mm -hmm.
0: Anti-violence,
1: which I had not, frankly, Um, if you think of it as somehow anti-violence, it plays in with something that's subtle in this story. But I think important Um, you'll remember that gas warfare was uh, the the chemical gases, that gas attacks were horrendous in World War One. Indeed. In fact, they led to part of the Geneva Conventions outlawing poison gas, uh, even in warfare. Now, we're told in the last, the beginning of the last column of the story as it's printed, <clears throat> we have the, the fellow who yells, God help us, right? But we're bloomin' marvels where God help us, right? And that's God. He's referring to God. This guy is is that Latin scholar shut it the other soldier bellowed taking aim what are you gassing about mm-hmm. So instead of saying what are you talking about or jawing about or shouting about he says what are you gassing about which maybe was a common slang for talking but I I've not encountered it before but you know I wasn't alive in 1914 but then in the last paragraph mm-hmm. In fact, there were 10,000 dead German soldiers left before that salient of the English army. And consequently, there was no sedan. In Germany, a country ruled by scientific principles, the great general staff decided that the contemptible English must have employed shells containing an unknown gas of a poisonous nature as no wounds were discernible on the bodies of the dead German soldiers. In other words, from the standpoint of the Germans who are scientific, these people must have been gassed because the alternative is that a miracle happened. Mm -hmm. And these gray hordes were felled simply by having the spirit taken out of them. It is at that point when we see a juxtaposition between the scientific viewpoint and the religious viewpoint, that we get the very last line, which you've just read, we've just looked at before. But the man who knew what nuts tasted like when they called themselves steak knew also that St. George had brought his Agincourt bowmen to help the English. In other words, the man who knew What that motto meant, the man who ate in the vegetarian restaurant, the man who would prefer to avoid violence, but knows that in order to remain England, violence must be done. The enemy must be defeated. And so we have the vegetarian, not vegetarian pacifist but vegetarian, patriot, spiritualist. And that's what happens when nuts act like steak. You know, there are a lot of different kinds of foods that a vegetarian can eat, but only one of them is a slang word for manliness. <laughs> All right? This isn't broccoli. This isn't fruits, right? This this isn't mashed potatoes. This isn't tubers. This isn't right seeds, which one might think of as female. This is nuts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And someone who can understand that nuts can also be steak can understand that God is fighting on our side. In fact, he always has because we're English mm-hmm. and we've had Saint George.
0: Mac uh, Machen didn't think much of this story. He he was rather annoyed by the attention that it was given. It, it, the writing's good, but it, it's it's so uh, of its moment and so light in a certain sense. Um, but there there is something about it magical, absolutely. And I can see I I, I understand in a way why this story and. And all the things that he does with it that aren't the things that people take off with are ignored in the retellings, right? It it becomes not St. George and Machen's explanation for why it's not St. George in subsequent retellings that it becomes angels is because, you know, oh, saints are for Catholics, and we're not Catholic, right? Um, Yeah, St. George is sort of out of favor right now, but angels are in, and... um, uh, but there's uh, th- the other thing is is this anticipation of the the death without wounds by by gas is an anticipation at this point in the world, the very beginning they hadn't used offensive gas against the enemy yet but it's coming and it's right in this story and they knew about it of course and it's going to but... be the miracle weapon right? Yep. The, the, the thing is, is no matter how you slice it whether it was his intention or not it's propaganda and it's effective and what makes it so effect, what makes a f- propaganda so effective is that it's taken up by the people and it's this is our this is our story this is our explanation right the 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 loss that people I mean this, this story of the battle of the Mons is sort of um, forgotten in the later horrors of World War I. This is a very minor skirmish in a certain sense compared to the later horrors. But it fits in the same role as in World War II in the evacuation at Dunkirk. It's a loss turned into a victory, a loss uh, saved by a miracle, right? It, it, whether it's a secular miracle of all good English people coming together and, and saving our boys or not, it's still a miracle. And that miracle is played up and I, I I'm like I worry about this this kind of stuff because it seems unstoppable. Even when the author can't control the narrative of the story and where it goes and how it's reproduced and he, he talks about all the all the sermons that were given that used this story as a basis for, you know, further faith as opposed to, you know, stopping stopping the violence before it gets as bad as it's going to get. Uh, so uh, we can see it sort of out of context as, as a beautiful piece of poetry um, in prose form. Uh, but I think in its context of being this uncontrolled magical spell that uh, turned into um, a piece of writing like I mean it's not as big as the, what the Communist Manifesto did but that book had a lot of uh, you know the writings of Karl Marx had a lot of influence on the world and not all of it for the good this is not a story of evil but it it, it, it it's possible that it's used to perpetuate it or at least to hide the horror as if we're going to be saved by some miracle
1: it does hide the horror and it does I think suggests to us that we could, were we not at war, perhaps live a less violent world, uh, a less violent life. Um, To do so, we might have to be queer and queer. Even in 1914 does have its sexual implications as well as being odd. We might have to be willing not to be so manly. We might have to call nuts steak, but it is possible to respect life. And yet, when things are crucial, your own life is important enough, this this story says, not only to defend it, but to have other higher, greater powers validating that defense. And that's a message that I think is not simply local to 1914. I think it's one people hear whenever they hear the drumbeats of war. But there's always
0: more to say.